together, there you are in the midst. Lord, thank you for your appearance with us this morning. We give you praise and worship, honor and glory. Thank you for your word that reminds us so many different things, Father, that we can be easily neglectful of. Truly, Lord, we want to be watchful. We want to be mindful. We want to be ready and able and willing to preach the word. And also, Lord, as we're reading about those who would have itching ears, and Lord, might we not be such. We pray that you would bless the words that are about to be read and words that are about to be spoken, that, Lord, you would illuminate our minds and hearts, that we would be greatly affected, that your word would resonate within our souls, that it would encourage us and bless us, and most importantly, Lord, that we would worship you and glorify you, Lord, through your word. We ask these things, Father, giving you praise in Jesus' precious and worthy name. Amen. You may be seated. Turn to First Thessalonians chapter 5. Before everything was, he was. Before even time existed, God is. In that beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Through the word, everything came into being. He said, let there be light, and there was light, and behold, it was good. He said, let us make man in our own image, and man was created, and it was very good. Through the word, the world is illuminated, and we are made to know him who is light and life and all goodness. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 4, 5. The Lord, our Lord, is breathtaking. He is full of wonder and majesty, and his glory knows no ends. And the word that he reveals himself through is powerful. It is life-giving. It is world-shaping. It is creative. And we see revealed in the first section of of the Gospel of John that the word that God has spoken is none other than Christ Jesus, his Son, our Lord and Savior. It's always worthy of considering what titles the Bible gives God. The Bible calls Christ simply the Word. This simple statement reveals so much of who Christ is to us. He is the the mediator between God and man in the same way that words mediate between each other, that they make a way for us to connect and be understood. Christ is the word and he is the illuminator, just as words allow us to make sense of the world around us. Christ, the word, is perfect truth and the perfect revelation of the Father. He says, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. So as he is the son of the Father, so too he is the word of the Father. And this title of the word shows us that when the prophets of old spoke the word of God, God, they were testifying of Christ. Every word of scripture the very words of God culminate in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So consider with me 1 Thessalonians 5.20. 
as we consider the, the amazing nature of the Word of God. This verse contains four words, and these four words will be the main idea of my section of the sermon. And necessary for us to feel the weight and the impact that these words should have is for us to understand that the heart of prophecy is the Word of God. The heart of prophecy is the Word of God. And this word is life-giving, powerful, truth-revealing, and world-shaping. Remember this. Do not despise prophecies. And the heart of prophecy is the word of God. This four-word sentence will be our focus. So let's take it word for word. Do. A wise man once said, do or do not, there is no try. <laughs> All joking aside, do not is a clear enough statement for us to understand. So continuing on, we read despise. To despise is to take lightly, to discount, or to not hold in high regard. And finally, prophecy means to foretell to proclaim, to present before others words. And in the Bible, prophecy most clearly refers to the proclamation of the word of God. It's important to be clear that there are no new words of God in this day and age. The scripture is complete. The canon is finished. We have every authoritative word of God in this book. So for our purposes, we should understand prophecy as the word of God being proclaimed. And it, it works out in these, these three key ways. First, prophecy is the, the proclamation of the words of the Bible. That is, the reading of the word of God with conviction and force. Second, prophecy is the, the right interpretation of the words of the Bible. And finally, it is also the application of the words of the Bible to our own lives, that they may be shaped. It is the reproof, the correction, the teaching that trains us in righteousness. We must hear the words that are captured in this book as they are proclaimed, and we must conform our lives to them. What words do you hold in high regard? What words hold a high position in your life and shape your behavior? Are they the words of political commentators or maybe the opinions of those around you? Do you trust in the wisdom that you can get from books out in the world? Or maybe you rely on the lessons that your parents taught you growing up. What words do you despise? Perhaps it's the, the words of an idiotic politician or the arguments of those you disagree with, whether, you would, whether they would seem to you to be racists or snowflakes. When we consider the greatness of God and the wonderful nature of his word, how can we for any second think to disregard the words of God like we might disregard the words of those in the world? Now, many of us may not be tempted to disregard the word in that same way, but also we should consider the ways in which we do not properly lift up the word of God into high esteem in our lives. Who among us is not led astray by too high a regard for the opinions of people in this world or by the words of insufficient men? By regard for the opinions of your neighbors, do you despise the word of God which calls you to preach the gospel? By the words of popular movies and music, are you drawn into a love for this world? When scripture says, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? 
weigh carefully your regard for others' words. Because today, from the word of God, this passage is calling you to never treat lightly the proclamation of God's word. Either you will obey these words and you will receive eternal life, or you will ignore these words and the sword will be your weapon of execution. Yet, in this talk of how we should obey the word and of the glory of the word, we must not forget Christ. Know this, that any proclamation of the words of God that does not point to Christ has fallen short of the Bible. Despise any teaching that is simply moral instruction of how to live righteously. And understand that we will never be good enough at obeying these words to enter heaven, to earn our place in the kingdom. You will never follow this verse well enough to get to heaven. Your sinfulness and your rebelliousness will cause you to not honor God's word rightly enough to deserve glory. So we must look to to, and trust him who is the fullness of all scripture. We must look to and obey him who fulfilled every single word. We must trust in him not as an example first and foremost, but, but as a savior. Him who followed every word of scripture, even though those words demanded that he should die for many having done nothing wrong. And we need to, through the words of Scripture, put our trust in him who was pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. Having realized that that the word of God holds this vaunted position, that it is worthy of the highest regard, and this is that which testifies of our Savior, we should then consider how we ought to live. Do not despise prophecies. Application one, do not despise the proclamation of the word of God. Remind yourself of this when we read the word of God, that this is the creator of the universe speaking to us. Imagine in your mind standing before the throne of the almighty God and hearing him speak. Be struck with these things and marvel at the word. Application two, do not despise the right teaching of Scripture. This is no no magical book that just mystically implants knowledge in us, but it must be studied and understood and interpreted by men of God who pursue knowledge of the word. And we, holding the word in high regard, must make every effort to sit ourselves frequently under the right teaching of scripture, that we might be shaped and molded and instructed by it with all clarity and with all soundness of doctrine. Application three, do not despise the application of scripture. God's word is to ma- made to shape every aspect of your life. When you hear the word of God preached, Latch on to the truths that are applied and remember them throughout the week that you may be shaped by it. Some words will rule your life, whether they be the words of the world or the words of God. Listen and consider well. Do not despise prophecies. Morning, Jesus Freaks. Test everything, hold fast to what is good. The other part of that verse, um, I know it's not up there, but it is in the verse that I'm doing this morning. I have three pairs of $1 bills here with me that I want to give three people the option to choose the one they would like to keep.
we got one more. How about my brother here? What does he do like? <laughs> so, these were a little bit easier to, to examine. The word here says to examine all things and hold fast to what is good. And so what we just did was, this, so that was fairly easy because we know, right? We're very familiar with what is real when it comes to money, for example, right? We know what a real dollar bill is. I wish I could have found one a little more fake than that. I even had to get from the junior monopoly because we don't have the real game around the house. But we know what's real when we see that. We know it's not green. It doesn't have George Washington's got the little monopoly guy. This is white. Got a choo-choo train on it. That's not on our dollar bill. So we know that, right? And we are called here in this passage in Thessalonians to the same diligence. So it says, despise not prophecy, but... But test everything. So we're not to despise it, but we are to do something with it. And we are to test it. And in the context here, the larger context, Paul is exhorting the Thessalonians to some exercise of discernment with spiritual gifts. If you go back and you read, remember, quench not the spirit. There are things going on in Thessalonica, as there are throughout all the churches all the time, with spiritual gifts or so-called spiritual gifts are being exercised and or abused, as well as the word of God, in which case those that are giving the word of God, the ones that are prophesying, the ones that are telling forth, have the spiritual gift to do so. And so we are not to, to despise those, but we are to do something with them. It says here we are to test everything. And that's why I know that it indicates back to this talking about um, not quenching the spirit, not despising prophecies. So we are to test everything. We are to test the words that are so called from God as brothers are up here or when you're in the women's ministry and things are being taught. We need to test them. So we need to, well, how do we test anything? Well, we sift it. We weigh it carefully. And you have to make sure that you understand when it comes to prophecies, when it comes to people telling the word of God, when it comes to people claiming other things that have to do in the spiritual realm. You have to make sure, first of all, that you understand what is being said or claimed, which means you need to listen. Don't answer what is not offered. Sometimes somebody says something, and it's someone in the same category as something we're already prepared to pounce on, so we give an answer to the thing that we're prepared to pounce on without even paying attention to the thing that was said. So we can't possibly respond to that. Okay? And also, don't attack a straw man. What do I mean by that? So a straw man is, you know, <clears throat> it would be very difficult. I would not succeed if I were to attempt to go in the back there and thrash Michael Payne. That probably wouldn't happen. However, I could go down the street to the scarecrow down there, that straw man, and I could tear that apart very easily. Sometimes what we do with people's arguments of someone, what someone's saying is we, rather than answering what they've said or presenting their point of view fairly, is to build a straw man. One example of that would be, for example, we often say, oh, Roman Catholicism is all about works. That is a super simplification of what goes on in Roman Catholicism and the different tensions that we have with, Protest other, with Protestantism when it comes to dealing with that. So there are certain things that we just say, well, Roman Catholicism is all about works and salvation is all about faith. And... There's, there's an element of truth to that. But it's much more complicated than that, and it's insulting to people that are in Roman Catholicism to hear that, understandably. So how do we test things? Well, Paul set a good example back in Acts chapter 13, and as it would be, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 17, and as Scripture would have it, this has to do with the Thessalonians. Thessalonians. Now, when they had passed through Amphilius and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead. So Paul reasoned from the Scriptures. He made a claim, and he reasoned with the Jews that were there from the Scriptures. We also know at one point Paul said to uh, said of the uh, those in Berea that they were more noble than those in Thessalonica and that they searched the scriptures daily to see whether those things were so. So, let's go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 29 to 32. We see another example of Paul dealing with the Corinthian church and issuing them a warning. 1 Corinthians 14, 29 to 32. Let two or three prophets speak. He's talking about spiritual gifts. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy, 
one by one, so that all may learn and be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. Important to keep in mind, at this point, they didn't have the full canon of Scripture. So, so men were saying things, supposing women, under the guidance and direction of the Holy Spirit. And it was up to other people that were so inclined to give that, uh, to speak in that way, to pay attention to what they're saying and to verify and confirm it, which goes along with the scriptural mandate of in two or three witnesses, let everything be established. We see over in Paul's second letter to the Thessalonians, chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, Now coming uh, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together with him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word, or let us seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has already come. Very practical example. Here of what Paul is talking about. So some are claiming that the Lord Jesus already came. Okay, so don't despise that prophecy. Test it. See if it's so. Well, in this case, we have the great apostle Paul. Okay, so in the apostle Paul, well, they didn't have a canon. They have an apostle, which we don't have these days. <laughs> these days we have the canon. But they had an apostle then. Okay. So does it, when we're testing these things, what we have to know is this. A couple of things. Does it contradict other known scripture? You know, Paul warns about doctrines of demons. So if somebody's making a spiritual claim, does it contradict scripture somewhere else or the greater weight of scripture? Is it the gospel or is it something else? Is it the gospel or is it something else? Is it edifying and building others up? What's the general character of the person making the claim or, or supposedly speaking on behalf of God? Is this a reliable and trustworthy person that has proven himself or herself to be reliable in spiritual matters? Uh, anywhere on social media, you'll see people make claims about spiritual things. And also, don't confuse charisma. <laughs> don't confuse charisma with competence. <laughs> when it comes to the Word of God or other things. You know, it's very easy to persuade people for some, right? Just the inflection of the voice, the way you talk, you're almost sort of projecting an authority onto them, which isn't there, almost coercing them to accept what you're saying, just by the way you choose your language, you know? And so this is going on all the time in our culture, okay? So be very careful with that. Now, this is a young church, okay? Yet Paul considers them sufficiently equipped to be competent testers of the prophecies that are given. Just as we went everywhere from the little guy over there, he knew what the real dollar was, and our sister and our brother all knew what the real thing was. Okay, I'm going to give a little uh, current application from this. Um, some of you may have heard this in the past, and some of you may not. It is, it is said by some, it is claimed by some, even within Christendom, so-called, that David and Jonathan had a homosexual relationship. I don't know if you've ever heard this before. And that comes from First and Second Samuel. We read things like Jonathan loved David as himself. Jonathan stripped himself of his robe and armor and his belt and sword and gave it to David. Jonathan and David wept and kissed each other. In his lament after Jonathan's death, David said, You have been very pleasant to me. Your love to me was more wonderful than the love of a woman. David and Jonathan were gay. That's what people say. That's what people that debate Christians have said. Well, so now you have to test this, okay? You have to test this and hold fast to what's good, okay? Well, some of the things that weren't understood by these knuckleheads that say these things is this was a covenant that was being made when Jonathan stripped himself of his outer armor. It doesn't mean he stripped all the way down to nothing, but when he gave his armor and he gave his sword like that, he was basically bestowing upon David the kingship that was to come after Saul was gone. That's what that meant. And that day and in that time, many men kissed each other on the cheek. It's still a custom much in the Middle East. I remember years ago working for a company landscaping. There was a French family, and the father would show up, big rugged guys that own this business. Every morning the father would show up on the job, the one that started the business. He'd go kiss each one of his sons on the lip. I was like, man, that's weird. I was kissing my dad on the lip, right? That was their custom. That's all. Just a simple custom. And when we read about love in First and Second Samuel with relation to Jonathan, that word love that is there has nothing to do with sexual love. It's the same word that is used for the love of God, uh, husband, how a husband loves his wife, how a father loves their child, mother loves their child, etc. Okay? 
it, this isn't like we see the, the word for love in the book of Solomon is a vastly different thing. There are things that are going on in Solomon between Solomon and the Shulamite that are not going on between Jonathan and David. Okay? Now you show me somewhere where uh, David is telling Jonathan that your neck is an ivory tower or your, your nose is an ivory tower and your necks are like the cedars of Lebanon and your navel is a goblet and we'll have a different discussion. But that's not the case. The word for love in the Song of Solomon is the word for, includes the, the idea of sexual love and intimacy. So the two different words. So that's how we're testing, right? We're testing, well, what do the words of Scripture mean? What is the claim that this person is making? And so we're testing it. Recently, the Church of England, an archbishop came out this week and said that the Lord's Prayer, as we have it, is problematic because it starts out with our Father. And there are a lot of people that have been oppressed by the patriarchy who have a problem with that, right? So, so there will be some people that say, gee, you're right, we shouldn't say that anymore. No. And, and, and to me, I just want to despise that utterance and say, Oh, what a moron, and move on. But no, I've got to be ready to defend that to somebody else that might want to know something more about it, right? So I'm not to despise, but I'm to test it and see if it is so. As someone else said, I guess everybody else gets to have their own preferred gender but God. (laughs) He doesn't get to call himself Father. So after having tested these things, we are to hold fast to what is good. We are to take possession of it, to retain it, to keep it in our memory, to put it into effect to internalize it. God gave you that word through that speaker. Cherish it. Don't neglect it or let it slip away. To hold fast, what does it mean? 1 Corinthians 5.2 Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So to hold fast that gospel that was preached and to have it become part of who you are and all that that means is to have everlasting life. It's the word that guides your decisions and all the things that our brother was talking about with the word. And we're to hold fast to what is good. That word is used throughout the New Testament, the seed sown in good soil. They gathered the good fish into containers and tossed the others. Good works. I am the good shepherd. The word there means sort of genuine and not counterfeit. It's actually quite money-related. It's genuine. It's, it's, it's well adapted to its end. It is exactly what it is. So if it's good, then that is, means it's doing exactly what it was intended to do. The brother was talking about when God created the earth and said it was good. He wasn't making a moral statement. He was saying, this is doing exactly what I wanted to do. This serves the function for which I put it into effect. So you hold fast to the things that are useful and purposeful to the ends that God had intended to them, that are beneficial to you in keeping with the truth. You know what a good car is, a good computer. Doing what it should do. It's teaching that accords with the gospel altogether and with the rest of the word of God. Well, what if the so-called spirits are not good or if the one claiming to speak for God does not pass the test? How do we manage that? Brother Seth will take the calm. Test everything, hold fast to what is good. (laughs) Abstain... From every form of evil, verse 22, continuing right along where Pat left off. Abstain from every form of evil. Right, A clear contrast to what we have just heard. Instead of holding fast to the good, uh, we are are certainly looking at the flip side of that coin. And uh, Paul here says to abstain from every form of evil. To abstain is to hold yourself off. To refrain, right? To refuse to partake in, to refuse to engage. Do not linger. Do not even dabble. If you think about the story of Lot, when he and Abram are too wealthy to stay together, and it says that Abram gave him the option to pick where he wanted to go, and and Lot chose the well-watered plains in the valley and in Genesis 13:12 it says that Abram settled in the land of Canaan 
while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Right? If you know the story, you know how that worked out for him. But he was not giving himself a good opportunity to abstain from the sin of the land by moving his tent as far as Sodom. Right? Sometimes we need to help ourselves abstain by doing things like moving far away from that which causes us to sin. Right? So in that sense, to abstain would mean to not remain, as Lot did in that example. There's other scriptures that talk about how we are to engage sinful things, and there, there's some connection here that we can draw other uh, understanding from. And in 2 Timothy 2, verse 22, we are told to, to run, to flee youthful passions. Right? There's, there's this idea of, of not just refusing or refraining, but turning in the other direction and sprinting. Jesus very famously in Matthew chapter 5, verse 29, talks about cutting off your hand or plucking out your eye as the amount of severity that we ought to bring to the fight against sin. And so we understand that regardless of the difficulty regardless of the attractiveness of the sin or the evil that we are confronted with, we are to abstain right, with a passion, with a vehemence that causes us to run, to flee, to get away from that evil. And so just as we ought to strongly hold on to that which is good, we are to also, at the same time, strongly abstain from that which is evil. And Paul says here, every form of evil, right? every form that it takes, And in connection with what we've already heard this morning, this does, I think, first and foremost apply to the teaching that you may hear that is incorrect, teaching that is false, that is wrong, that is sinful. Right? This is what we've been talking about so far this morning. Do not despise prophecy, right? But test everything. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. So directly coming out of this context, we are talking about the word or or a form of the word being taught. And our responsibility is to test, to cling to the good. But what do we do when somebody adds to the Scripture? What do we do when someone does not preach the whole Gospel? They take away from the Scripture. Well, then we must not hold on to that teaching. We we must not stay close to it. We must avoid it. We must refuse it. We must shun it. Right To abstain from it is to do all of those things. And that is a very important application of this verse to our listening to people preach. There's a lot of focus in our church, and we should praise the Lord for this. There's a lot of focus on right doctrine. The elders are primarily tasked with preaching the Bible, and they are tasked with preaching it rightly, correctly, to study in such a way that what they are saying every, every time they teach is accurate to the Word of God. And we should... Praise God for this while also understanding there is no perfect church. Right? There are things said from this pulpit that are not correct. Right? I don't think there's heresy preached from this pulpit, but not everything is perfect because we are not yet glorified. We are not yet with the Lord. We are ourselves not yet perfect in our understanding of the Word of God. And so while our church, I believe, is faithful to preach the Word, Right? Current faithfulness does not guarantee future faithfulness. Think about Revelation chapter 2, the first letter of the seven written to the churches. It is to the church in Ephesus. And they are called to repentance by the Lord Jesus Christ because, as he says, they have abandoned their first love. Right? Something has happened in that church that has caused them to drift to the point where Jesus threatens them with essentially the removal of their witness as a faithful church. He says he'll remove their lampstand. We are not here speaking, I just want to clarify, of of disagreements that will arise based on a personal conviction or a personal preference. Um, If you think about Romans chapter 14, where Paul goes through and talks about how some in the church believe that it's okay to eat certain types of meat, and others are convicted when they eat that meat and they can't do it. And he talks about that as 
a valid disagreement among believers that are faithful, that are not living opposed to the gospel. Right? These are people that can come together in church, have differences of opinion, and worship the Lord together, and, and hear the word taught, and agree with the faithful preaching of the word. Right? And those differences we will have, and they need to be smoothed over by a love for our brothers and sisters. Right? That is not here what is in view. We are to uh, abstain from every form of evil. Right? Not a, a disagreement about a personal conviction, or, or maybe a passage of the scripture that's just simply not clear. Right? There are plenty of those, and, and you and I may argue about whether the, the person talked about in Romans chapter 7 is a believer or is not a believer. And I've argued with some of you about that and debated. And it's been healthy and, and wonderful and enjoyable. And we will come together in fellowship on a Sunday and maybe disagree about that. So that is not what is in view here. All right? What is in view is wrong teaching that will lead you away from the gospel, that will lead you away from Christ, that will lead you away into a heresy that can damn your soul. Right? And there are plenty of heresies that can, if we believe them, that will lead us away from a true faith in God and in Christ. This has been happening since the beginning of creation, uh, especially as, as we see it also from the beginning of the church. If you want to flip back to Acts chapter 20, interesting that this is again the Ephesian church that is being spoken to here. Remember the Ephesian church that Christ speaks to in Revelation chapter 2 where they had fallen away from their first love? Well, in Acts chapter 20, Paul calls the Ephesian elders to him. He knows he's going to Jerusalem. He knows he's needing to get there and he will likely not see them again. But starting in Acts chapter 20, verse 28, he says to these elders, he says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. This is the, the type of teaching that we are considering here. This teaching that will lead you away from the truth, the essential truths about God and about our Savior. The church has been battling this from the beginning, right? The, the deity of Christ, the humanity of Christ, the validity of the resurrection, the extent of the fall, how, how sinful are people, the sovereignty of God. Is he in control of all things or is he not? the efficacy of Christ's work on the cross. You can see how these are different than whether or not we should eat bacon sold from the market, right? Uh, salvation by grace and not by works. Paul writes the book of Galatians to condemn people that have added a single work to the gospel. And he is fierce in his defense of the gospel. And he says to them, it, if you accept this, Christ is lost. He is nothing to you. You have lost the gospel. Your salvation is essentially over if you accept that something can be added to the gospel. Right? That is an essential doctrine of the faith. We see these come through today in, in other teachings in slightly different forms. Right? Today people question the existence of God, the existence of sin. The, the reality of God as creator. The, the roles of men and women in, in the church, in marriage, are being questioned. And we're supposed to just completely eliminate what God has established through creation. The existence of truth is in question today. right? And these are essential doctrines we cannot give up. These are forms of evil that if you hear them taught, we are to abstain from them. In any form they come. This is the, the task of the church collective and also the church members individually to know the word in order that we can hear an error and understand that it is incorrect and it's something that we should abstain from. 
And if it's something that arises in our church, right, to go to that person and to speak to them about their error so that they may be corrected, so that our church may not drift like the Ephesian church did. And so we are all hopefully growing in this area. If you are here on a Sunday morning, if you are at Bible studies during the week under good teaching, you are growing in this area. You may not be able to win a debate or, or every debate. You might not know all of the false teachings that are being presented in the world and in other, in other churches. And that's why we all need each other, right? To collectively take on this task as a group of believers to help each other abstain from error. And so when we maybe hear somebody say something that seems off, right? We, we can lovingly ask them a question and help them to understand better the truth of God. Right? Speaking the truth in love to one another so that we can all grow in this way and help each other abstain from every form of evil. I've been able to travel to, to Texas quite often with Larissa to visit her family down there. It's, it's always good. And we usually go to one of the churches that some of her family goes to. And it's a great opportunity for me to hear different teaching, to see a different church. And there's some churches that we have gone to where I, I sit there and there's nothing obviously wrong in the teaching. There's nothing sinful or, or nothing heretical being just clearly espoused. They're not up there saying that Jesus Christ didn't rise from the dead and you're not a sinner. You know, those most, most churches that call themselves churches don't stand up and say that. But I've sat in these churches many a time and thought something seems off. I just... I couldn't put a, my, my finger on a specific sentence or this obvious heresy that was, that was proclaimed, but something just seems different and not right. And so it took me a while to think through this and, and to go down there and visit again and hear more of the teaching. And I started to recognize that one of the main things that was different that I, that I noticed was that I came out of that service with the focus on me, thinking about myself. Right? And I started to sense and, and see this, this almost man-centered gospel that, that sounded good and helped me think about God, but in a way where it was focused on me. Right? And so the gospel in that case has been inverted. Right? We would come to Christ and it's all about Him. Right? It's all about the Lord. We bow before Him. We worship Him. We are conformed to His image and when that is happening, I'm staring at him. I'm not staring at myself. I'm not, the gospel is not about me. Right? And so it, it took me time to see this and understand it. But I think that's one form of teaching that is false that will lead many astray. Because one of the main problems with that is an unsafe person can go into that church and feel okay as they leave. Because they have not been confronted by the holiness and the beauty and the truth of Christ. And so I think abstaining from every form of evil does first and foremost apply to what we hear as it is taught. But I don't think that Paul's admonition needs to end there or be constrained just to the realm of teaching. Because he says abstain from every form of evil. And evil takes many forms. But it is also true that when we sin... When we give in to evil, when we're not abstaining from temptation, that is happening because we have believed something wrongly. Right? We are holding to something that is false, that is sinful. It's a reminder that what we do is a product of what we believe. Or another way to say it, doctrine is thoroughly practical. Right? Never believe the lie that, you know, we teach practical things and you guys just focus on doctrine. No, no. Doctrine is thoroughly practical. Because what you are taught and what you believe is revealed in your thoughts, in your words, and in your actions. Let me give an example right here in, in 1 Thessalonians, verse 15 of, of our chapter. Chapter 5, verse 15. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Well, this hinges on the definitions of good and evil, which is a doctrinal definition. If we are to do good and not to do evil, we must understand rightly what is evil and what is good. That is doctrine. 
Verse 16, same chapter, rejoice always. Verse 18, give thanks in all circumstances. We heard about these last week. If I'm going to do those things, I must believe that God is in control of everything and that he loves his children. If I am to rejoice always, I must believe that God is in control and that he loves his children and he will do good to them always. Right, that is a doctrinal belief that grounds my action. At the root of every sin, there is a denial of truth or a trust in something else, something that is false. And in this same book, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, Paul says to, to abstain from sexual immorality. Well, if I don't do that, right? if I give in to sexual immorality, I am believing that the pleasures of sin are better than holiness. Where we are called to pray without ceasing. If I don't, if I, if I stop praying for a period of time, then I am believing that God doesn't love me or that he won't help me. Or maybe that he can't. Right? There is a foundational false teaching at the root of my sin. And at the root of your sin. And this, this may be helpful as you think about all the sins that you're easily tempted with. Because the forms of evil that we can fall into are voluminous. They, they are just, we, we could probably just start a list and for the next ten minutes keep going. But maybe it's gossip or, or withholding forgiveness. Or anger. Or coveting what other people have. Lying, deceiving being haughty or boastful, being faithless, being immoral. Maybe it's, maybe it's drunkenness or jealousy, adultery or lying or bitterness or prayerlessness. The, the Scripture is full of sins that we ought to avoid. Husbands not loving their wives, wives not respecting their husbands, children disobeying their parents. And it all comes back to some form of error or lie that we are believing when we commit those sins. It all comes back to Genesis 3 when that, that serpent slithered into the garden and said to Adam and Eve, did God actually say? Right, that questioning of the truth of God led them to give in to sin. And they fell and every human being has been fallen since that moment of history. And so we must know the truth, we must believe the truth, and then abstain from every form of evil. It takes daily effort, right? It takes maybe thinking about our sin and where it comes from. What lie am I believing? What false teaching am I believing that causes me to do this sin again and again? It's listening to our conscience, guided by the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. And so it, hopefully we can see this isn't complicated, but it is impossible without the work of God in your life. It is impossible without the Holy Spirit. And so as we consider this command, the first thing we ought to realize is that we need to be in prayer about this. Right? God is the one who is at work. He is the one who causes us to change. We must pray and ask Him for this help because I know you and I cannot fight every temptation and sin. We cannot correct every false belief that we have apart from Christ. And also as we hear this command, let, let us remember the gospel and our desperate need for Christ. Because if we are commanded to abstain from every form of evil, we ought to quickly recognize that we are not obeying this command. Right? We should see our failure very quickly. But at the same time, when you see that, understand and see that in every action, in every desire, in every word, in every thought, in everything he taught, Jesus Christ abstained from every form of evil. Right? The greatest of temptations came to him, and he abstained. He never believed a lie. He never taught something false. He, he never sinned once in a thought, in an emotion, in a word, in an action. And 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that His righteousness is now yours. And that is the beauty of the gospel.
So we are to strive to obey this command, but at the same time, rest in the gospel. And that's the last thing I want to encourage us with, this striving and this resting. We have a task, we have a command to obey, and so we have work to do and things to think about and prayers to pray, asking that God would work this in us. So we don't stop striving. It is a impossible task in our sinfulness, but we don't stop striving. But we do remember where our salvation lies and rest in that. We are not striving to do this so that we can be saved, right? We are saved, we are righteous in Christ, and so we strive out of love for Him because He has given us the righteousness. He has given us the perfection that we cannot attain. And this is exactly what Paul says in verse 24, which we'll cover in subsequent weeks, but in verse 24 it says that He, God, who calls you, is faithful. He will surely do it. Right, so we strive, but we rest in the work, both the finished work and the continuing work of God in us as we strive to abstain from every form of evil. Let's pray. God, it is good to be here this morning and most of all to remember the gospel, to remember what you have done for us in Christ. This is not anything we can take credit for. It's not something we could do for ourselves but it is exactly, 100%, thoroughly what we need as sinners. We need you to forgive all of our sin, to save us, and then to put your Spirit in us so that we can obey these commands, so that we can hold fast to that which is good, so that we can test, so that we can um, avoid the despising of prophecy, and that we can also abstain from every form of evil. Father, help us in this task. Give us the energy and the motivation to strive, but also give us the joy and the peace that comes from resting in Christ, knowing that this work is done, and that in our salvation we are united with Christ, and that you see us in him as perfect. So Father, out of that joy and that just blessed hope, help us to rejoice and continue to strive for your glory. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. In the name of Christ, amen. Will you stand with us?